1: giving practical advice to entrepreneurs and business leaders and how to take your company, firm, or practice to that next level with less stress and more success. In other words, how to take the growing pains out of growth. I'm Marcia Zeidel, your Smart Moves Coach, getting you on the right track, keeping you on the right track, and making sure you don't get sidetracked. Let's start with a Smart Moves quote From Jack Welsh, the former CEO of GE. He said, Willingness to change is a strength, even if it means plunging part of the company into total confusion for a while. Well, what happens when a 34-year-old established public communications hardware company turns itself into an engine of innovation and enters into a new, promising yet unfamiliar territories for them? Was it a walk in the park, or total confusion, or something in between? My guest, Greg Kalush, the CEO of Interface Corporation, and Dr. Yoram Solomon, Vice President of Strategy, will take us through a story that started with the realization that someone moved my cheese. They will share how hard it was to think differently and to do things differently, to make tough choices, to develop new business strategies and to transform the company. Their story takes us up to the present, taking their new product to market. Welcome Greg and Yoram. It's a pleasure to have you.
2: Thank you, Marcia.
1: Okay. You know, let's start with you, Greg. Um, Interface is a 39-year-old company. Tell us a bit about the history of this company.
2: Sure. Well, Interphase began as an embedded computing and communication solution provider back in 1974. The founders of the company did primarily contract work for larger companies like IBM and HP and even defense contractors like Lockheed Martin. And our niche was innovating solutions in the local area network and then later in the storage area network world that would basically fit into their solutions and allow their products to communicate uh, between one another. And so we took a lot of pain out of figuring out how to make these technologies coexist at the system level. I joined the company in 1998 as its CFO and quickly took a more operational role at the request of the CEO at that time. And then in 1999, a year later, was asked by the board to step up into the CEO role. One of the first trends I noticed uh, in both those roles was that the primary product line of the enterprise computing market was rapidly getting commoditized. Uh-huh. as a result of standards and uh, that were emerging in this space. And also the large semiconductor companies that, frankly, were our suppliers were integrating many of the value propositions that we offered at the board level down to the chip level, which reduced their cost and, uh, unfortunately, at the same time removed our value from the equation. So we began expanding into and transitioning into the telecommunications market in around 1999, and by 2002, we were one of the markets large, to the largest equipment providers in the market, and by two thousand three, we had uh, secured ourselves about a forty percent market share in a brand new market. So we transitioned out of enterprise computing and into telecom, um, and so obviously we had to match the uh, resources and skill sets to uh, to the telecom market, which meant you know a f- fair amount of transition within the company.
1: Right, and so what I understand is um, you needed to change. Um, And what was wrong with the old interface? What were some of the things that needed that required change? I think you talked a bit about it, but can you amplify it just a bit?
2: Yeah. In the the first change, we saw our uh, market growth being challenged by commoditization and standardization. Mm -hmm. And about seven years into the transition into telecom, we started to see the same type of thing happen. I guess if you're in any place in in, uh, technology long enough – it starts to catch up with you. Because in the first several years, we became the trusted partner and, as I said before, enjoyed about a 40% market share and, and good profits and, and good return on investments from our investments in the telecommunications space. But after several years, along about 2003, 2004, we started to see consolidation go on in that industry. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And we saw that our customers were actually being challenged by China Inc. and also, our products were being challenged by new technologies like Ethernet, which tended to level the playing field and take a lot of profit and and take a lot of price pressure onto our our products. So, you know, we saw that, that this trend was happening over and over again in the embedded world and, frankly, stepped back, looked at it, and decided we need to really fundamentally change the approach that the company was going to take to the market and also which markets and what market position we were going to take.
1: So really, this is a lesson for all companies, not just in technology, which is, as you see trends, which is impacting your business, um, that you need to take heed of it sooner than later. And I think that's what, you know, that leads us to my next question, which is, um, how did you decide that you needed a VP of strategy from the outside, Greg?
2: Well, you know, the interesting thing is we have the responsibility to our employees, our shareholders, to reposition the company. And one of the challenges that I had is after being here for a length of time, I was kind of contaminated into the embedded computing thing, you know, way of looking at things. Um, and so was the team. I mean, the people that I had in, in the uh, enterprise uh, success era um, some of them made the transition into telecom, some didn't. When we went into telecom, I hired primarily leaders and, and a team that was very focused and skilled in telecommunication offerings. But when you tell them and, and hold a strategy session and say, look, we've got to look outside this market, you know, they, they really struggled with that. They, they didn't have the context outside the market. So it, it was really difficult for us to back up and see ourselves differently and to potentialize ourselves outside of the market because, frankly, everybody was from within that market.
1: Right, and so, um, so at this point, you decided to uh, hire a VP of strategy. Um, how did the board react to this? Uh, were they supportive, or were there roadblocks, or whatever?
2: Well, you know, to be honest, the board, uh, as we struggled to come up with new ideas, I think the board began to get a little concerned and frustrated because, you know, they sensed the issue. They they sensed that. You know, we were a bunch of telecom guys trying to figure out what we would do if we weren't in telecom. And so they were very supportive. As a matter of fact, they were encouraging me to get help. Uh, and frankly, the only reason I, I resisted the urge to go out, we had actually tried to do it several years earlier. And finding just the right person, I felt, was a needle in a haystack exercise because uh, this is a very unique breed. Uh, and in my opinion, the challenge was finding just the right person. Um, and I thought it was going to be a difficult search and, and um, it turned out that, uh, it was not as difficult as I thought, but it still is a one in a million type of, uh, of, position, I think.
1: Okay. Now let's, um, move on to Yoram. Um, you're hired as the VP of strategy. Uh, this is, a, a company that needs to, um, change, uh, change probably fast, uh there may be some resistance um so uh, what were your first 18 months like
3: well you know when i worked in silicon valley i remember one of the ceos i worked for uh asked uh, how do you recognize the pioneers and, and I didn't know the answer, he said, because they're the ones with the arrows in their backs. And uh, so I, I was always in a position like that, whatever company I was with, whether it was PCTel or it was Texas Instruments. So so I wasn't, it wasn't a shock to me that, that I'm joining a company that's at that time 34 years old, public, uh, has th- this domain skill and, and, and very specific market and, and we're going to need to turn. Uh, When I came in and I presented to to the executives as well as the board of directors, uh, I had the process uh, down, and and I called it Vision 2013. So the promise of that was that we're going to launch a a new product line that that was going to be completely orthogonal, different than anything we've done in 2013. I just had no context or, or, or something specific. I just knew what the process was going to be. And and in the first 18 months, the the first step, I I, I described it to the board in in, in length uh, with the exception of I don't know what it was going to be. But the first part was uh, really to know who we are as a company. And one of the interesting things, I think, the first two months was the realization that the company was building products that were so specific to specific customers that it was really a service company more than a product company, which was kind of hard to, to accept because uh, we have our own manufacturing facility down in Carrollton here in Texas uh, and so it's it's a company that has production facilities yet it is a service company and I think that that realization helped later and I'm sure we're gonna get there uh, but then it was uh, I realized that we need to take the executive team off-site away from the business no computers no cell phones uh, and start asking some very tough questions and, and we did that in um, I think it was August of the, the following year so it was less than a year that I've been with the company and we went off to Rough Creek Lodge uh, about two hours away. I have very strict rules on on engagement in that process but um, we we came up with some answers and, and directions Most most important we came up with directions.
1: And so um so you had so you took uh, the team um you asked some very difficult questions you got some answers um and now let's uh move back to Greg uh how did you feel during that event because i would imagine there was possibly confusion possibly um misunderstandings possibly why we're doing this um, so what what was your take on the event?
2: Well, you know, first and foremost, I was hopeful. Okay. You know, it let, let's let me set the the stage. I had been seeing this compression, this consolidation, this trend of our customers struggling and and when your customers struggle by def, by extension you're going to struggle. And and I, I have I I'd kind of observed all of this going on for several years. Um and, and had attempted to hold sessions like this, both, both in the company as well as outside the company. And frankly, I had struggled with it because um, perhaps we didn't, we didn't uh, uh, embrace some of the tougher questions that Yorm uh, that forced the issue on. Uh, but my, my dream coming out of this is that I would have an executive team that believed that a transition was necessary mm-hmm. and would be of one mind about it. Mm-hmm. um so was it scary yeah it was a bit scary um but frankly uh the in my opinion the greater fear would have been staying where we were and i i needed to get them on the same page that i was on and and i felt as though we did that
1: and you were you talked about some tough questions uh could you give us some ex- examples of those tough questions
3: yes uh, the the first question was um uh, you know, it, it's easier to start with this. Uh, what do you like about the company? And th- there are a lot of things to like about the company. And, and so we listed those out. But it was really a setup for the second question, which is what do you not like about the company? Mm-hmm. And then then it followed with uh, what do you like and not like about your position in the value chain? Um, what do you like and not like about the markets that we're in? All those questions we needed to ask uh, to get to the point of uh, knowing what we want to change. So if we know what we don't like, we know how we would like to, that to be instead. And, and I can elaborate on that more.
1: Yeah. Why don't you? We have about a, a couple minutes before our first break. Um, what elaborate on that, and maybe what were some of the answers to the questions briefly? So,
3: so one of the, one of the things, if uh, if I look at what we like, for example, about. Uh, or what we did we not like about our place in the value chain. We were a little too far from where customers could appreciate what we do. The funny thing is that there is a very high probability that if you're using a telephone line or, or a cell phone, you are going somewhere along the line through an interface product. But people don't know that. And as, as a result, the end user does not appreciate the value that interface brings. And that puts us kind of in a... Um, you know, Greg uh, was very generous when he says uh, when he said that uh, we are helpful to our customers. But but really, our customers treated us like uh, just just a provider, any provider, uh, whereas we would like to have been treated, and that's what we're doing with the new products, as someone who brings the core value to the product. Okay, and
1: um, uh, you know, Greg. Um, you know, these tough questions uh, led to some answers, but also some uh, choices, uh, some important choices that you had to make. Can you talk a little bit about that as well?
2: Uh, sure. Uh, w- one of the things that we that Yoram was very uh, uh, careful to do when we finished up this, I would call it a somewhat grueling three-day, because t- we, we started very early in the morning and went till very early in the morning. Uh, But what he was careful to do is to put a plan in place with each of us to make certain that we all knew precisely what we needed to do when we got back to the company. Otherwise, these events, the value is quickly dissipated when you get back into the day-to-day operations. And that translated into uh, several action plans, one of which was to refocus and restructure the organization and the measurement system associated with the uh... the priorities that we established at that session so that we wouldn't lose track of the progress we're making towards not only the goals to manage forward but also the goals to manage the existing business
1: Well, can we hold that thought because i'd like to get back after our break to talk more about maybe some of the choices you had to make and how you move forward so it's time for a short break. This is Marcia Idol, Smart Moves Coach. You're listening to The Business Edge, Taking the Growing Pains Out of Growth on Voice America's Business Channel. My guests are Greg Kalush and Dr. Yoram Solomon, uh, and they'll return with more insights on how they turned this, transformed this company into uh, an innovative uh, uh, company uh, going into new markets. Stay tuned.
4: career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics.
0: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. are tuned into the business edge with Marsha idol to reach marcia or her guests on today's show please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send us an email to marcia at smartmovescoach.com now back to the business edge
1: welcome back this is Marsha Idol your Smart Moves coach. You're listening to the Business Edge, taking the growing pains out of growth. My guests today are, are Greg Kalush and Dr. Yoram Solomon. and We're going to continue with the story of how they took this 34-year-old company and, and realized that someone moved their cheese and turned it into a more innovative company with new products and new uh, customers. And much more successful, I believe. So we were talking about an event that happened about a year to year and a half after um, uh, Dr. Solomon came in as VP of Strategy, and they um, they went off. They took the executive team to a retreat. Um, where they had to answer some tough questions, and those questions were something like, "What do we like about the company? What don't we like about the company? Uh, what do we like about our markets, etc., cetera, etc.?" Cetera. But there's something that is really important to tell, which was um, how this was set up. Yoram, um, uh, can you talk about the ground rules? Because I think there's an, a, a really interesting story around that.
3: Yes, there is. Um- you know you get a lot of a group of uh people with all a personality and uh it's it's very easy to lose control over an event like this now facilitating offsite uh, sessions which i'm sure you've done many times in the past uh it, it takes its own sets of skills and uh but the, it's very very hard to be a non objective facilitator because first of all <laughs> you have to make sure you you're as involved and as engaged in this process and have your own opinions and may hold very strong passions about it, but you need to make sure that you you wear the right hat at any point in time, whether you're the facilitator or the person with an opinion, but add to that having people with very strong personalities. So some of the basic rules that I had, the ground rules, and, and we started with ground rules. I, I laid uh-huh. out, here, here are the ground rules. Uh, I asked around. We added a rule. We changed the rule. But we started with things like, first of all, nobody, no, nobody monopolizes the conversation. So you, you got people that just go on and on and on. And, and I needed to have a way of saying, okay, we got it. We are moving on. Now, at the same time, you would have people that would just shut down and be in the corner. And you need to make sure that nobody gets to be quiet. Nobody gets to only listen in. You you are going to say something at some point, and I'm going to make sure that that I get it out of you. Another rule was um, that uh, we're going to be making decisions here. And after we leave this event, we're going to execute those decisions. So th- this is not just a, uh, an exercise in futility. This is going to be something we're going to execute on. Everything is on the table. So there, there's, we're not going to do something here, agree to something here, but then leave the event and say, well, you know, we, we didn't really put everything on the table. So everything gets to be put on the table. And if it's not on the table now, it's never going to get on the table when we get back. Um, Another thing is the confidentiality part. You know, what happens here stays here because for us to be really productive there, we needed to talk about things that uh, we probably shouldn't share with everybody. Um, And so what happens here stays here. But, and and here's your story, uh, one of the hardest rules was Greg and, uh, you know, fortunately, even though we're at the same company, we're at different rooms right now, uh, Greg has a strong personality and sometimes he talks and, you know, it, it shuts other people down and that could not have happened there. So at that point, uh, one of the rules was that Greg has to be one of the team.
1: Mm-hmm. And Greg, um, how did you feel about that?
2: Um well, it was a new role for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right?
2: You know, I had to participate as uh, one voice, uh, peer among equals. And, and mm-hmm. you know, not relying on position power is typically not a huge issue for me. But in that meeting, you know, every once in a while there was a debate, and I just wanted to say, all right, enough is enough. Come on, let's call the ball and get on with it. And I couldn't do that. I mean, I, I needed to be one voice, and I needed not to overwhelm uh, the decision process. And, you know, I... At looking back, uh, as, as difficult as I know it must have been for Yorm to write that rule, and the truth is, it was critical that it was in there, and that we went through this exactly the way we did.
1: Right, and and, and I agree that um, it's important that um, the whoever's in charge, whether it's the CEO or the executive director of an agency or the president, yes, you do have some very specific uh, ideas and perspectives. Uh, but it's it's a fine line between, and I think you know, you, and you and Yoram had to work this out between uh, moving forward with your ideas or sitting back and watching it happen. And that is uh, the talent of a really good facilitator to know when to push forward, when to go back, when to ask a question, when not to ask a question. So actually, it worked out. From what I what I, the I, from what I understand, uh, you came up with some very definite. Uh, uh, strategies that you needed to move forward with. So let's move on to that. Um, what were some of those strategies? That's one, one of the questions I have. And then the second is, how did you make them a reality? So who would like to talk about the strategies? Greg, would you like to give a little um, synopsis of that and maybe Yoram could pipe in?
2: Absolutely, sure. Well, first thing, You know, we cleared up a lot of things during that session that we all knew had us feeling somewhat trapped in the business that we were in. Mm
0: -hmm. But
2: having said that, you don't go back and stop being in that business immediately. I mean, Mm -hmm. we needed a plan for continuity. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, important elements that I don't think we discussed uh, too much yet is the need to create strategic rules or strategy rules for each of the business segments that we were operating all as if they were one business segment when mm-hmm. we arrived at the event. And mm-hmm. we decided it was important to kind of break up the business into its logical elements and manage each of them with their own strategy rules. And so when we got back, it was really important for us to have a plan for continuity, but the session helped us to understand where we needed to shift, why it was so important, and then from that session, which happened, in, as Yoram as, uh, said, in the August timeframe, by uh, November when we were presenting our operating plan for the upcoming year, we were also presenting the management structure, uh-huh. the, the leadership structure, the strategy rules, and the new directions. So we had cemented what we did at the offsite into our corporate uh, planning, and also it began to, uh, uh, to work its way into our corporate culture. So it didn't take very long once we got back for us to say, you know what, we like the ideas and we're restructuring the company to align themselves up with these ideas, and then we're going to measure success and failure on that same basis. And uh, that allowed us to to launch some new businesses, uh, one of which was our engineering design services business, another of which was our electronic manufacturing services business, which incidentally this year grew by 268% over last year alone. So we've seen some real success, by launching these businesses and putting these processes in place.
1: And, um, you know, what now, you know, hindsight, it's always good to look back. We have about a minute and, Oh, let's just start with, and then we can continue in our next segment. What worked and what didn't work, you know, looking back, um, what might you, what really succeeded in, in, in what you talked about? So, what were some of your successes? What were the lessons in that you could tell others who are going through this process?
2: Um, I'd, I'd like to start and then have Yoram uh, follow up because mm. I'm sure he has thoughts on this as well. One of the things that worked very well was the management system and the strategy rules and the need for new businesses new, uh, what we call Horizon 2 and Horizon 3 businesses to be launched. Mm -hmm. And so it it put a very specific set of goals in place to keep us on track for doing each of those things in a timely and meaningful way, and then having a measurement system that helped us to do it. It also helped us to, you know, shut things down that we started that weren't working out that well without dragging them along for for too long a period of time. Yarm, did you have any thoughts?
1: Actually, Yoram, can you hold that thought, because we are going to uh, go for another break, and then we come back. Um, Yoram is going to talk about, uh, you know, the successes, what worked, and also what didn't work. And and one of the key things that I got from what you just told us, Greg, is that sometimes you have to let go of certain, either certain businesses, certain products, certain ways of doing things in order to move forward. So uh, listeners, we're taking a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear more about the success and failures of transforming a company. Stay tuned.
0: You can also send us an email to Marcia at smartmovescoach.com. Now, back to The Business Edge.
1: Welcome back. This is Marcia Zotto, your Smart Moves Coach. You're listening to The Business Edge, taking the growing pains out of growth. My guests today are Greg Kalush and Dr. Yoram Solomon, um, and they are talking about uh the transition of a company who realized that they had to they had to change. There was no question. Someone moved their cheese, and they had to change, and they had to look at what they were doing and how they might do it differently, including new product lines. And so just to uh, – they had a retreat of their executive team, and several uh, strategies came out of that, and that they were making – then they had to turn those strategies into day-to-day reality – And Jorn, we're gonna just start with you and determine you know, of those, what worked and what didn't work? What was your take? Rick talked about some of the things. Uh, What else can you add to that?
3: Well, I think that uh, the strategy, as a strategy, did work with the different elements. Uh, But one of the elements there, and I think uh, we came back with six different elements and one of them, the last one, was what do we do with the current business and what we agreed, as, as Greg mentioned before the break, is to have a new management structure and break the business into different pieces. You see, sometimes you have a business that adds 40% to your profit, and you have another business that takes out 20% of your business, of your profit. And if you add them both up, you add 20% of your business, but one of the businesses masks the, the failure, the success of one masks the failure of the other. And we had to break it. And as we broke it, as as Greg mentioned, we found that some of our businesses probably we should not pursue. And we got out of them to only keep the ones and create new ones, which I'm sure you're going to ask me about, uh, and create new ones that will be uh, incremental to the company.
1: Right. So let's move on to... What new businesses? What new markets? How did a, a communication company end up in educational technology, Yoram?
3: Well, then uh, we, as we leave this off-site, each one of the executives uh, gets a new hat. And that hat was the services vertical, uh, and that hat was telecom and, and other businesses and so on. And I get a hat of, uh, you, need to be co- you need to come up with a new market. In that offsite, we characterize that market. So, what what would you like this market to be? How close would you like to be to the customer? How uh, core do you want to be to the value proposition of the product, and so on? And I needed to come up with what would it be. I used the two-prong approach, uh, and and I had someone to help me uh, there—a uh, director, a senior director in the company—and. Uh, we set we split the work where i looked at different technologies uh-huh. i sifted through probably 5 600 business plans of different companies startup companies in the early stage to see if there is a company that we would like to acquire to, to get our hands on on a technology and uh, he had the job of uh, coming up with uh, a top down segmentation of the $1.4 trillion electronics industry because we knew that we're going to stay in electronics. That's one thing that came out of that offside is whatever Mm -hmm. it is, it is going to stay in the electronics industry. We're not going to move into something else. We're not going to move into transportation all of a sudden. And so as we did that, uh, we started both getting exposed as much as possible to what was happening. And and the way Penview started, uh, didn't even start with that name, was uh, one of the markets that I actually came across, one of the technologies was the interactive whiteboards. And I came across this little company that uh, we thought about acquiring, but the only one thing I did not like was their technical approach to how you replace an interactive whiteboard. And I remember standing in his office, uh, his name is AJ Lee and I stood in his office and explaining to him the problems with the with the technology that that company was, was using and as I was holding the pen in my head, the marker in my hand, all of a sudden I looked at the marker and I thought, man, what if we could put the camera in the tip of that pen? And that's how PanView started. And, and it really started because of that exposure to different markets, different applications, different technologies, different companies. And then uh, the next thing was uh, I had an idea, and I started uh, writing patents. I developed a business plan, and a week before our board meeting on July twenty first, 2010, I sat with Greg at the boardroom, and I showed him a business plan.
1: And we're going to go to Greg in a minute in terms of how did you feel when you saw the plan, but I wanted to just add something to this wonderful story of how Penview got started, which is um, it's innovation. And innovation happens because you bring people or or people, ideas um, uh, together, and you have to look beyond where you're at. You have to look at other, as you said, you looked at 500 business plans. And so, uh, you know, um, I would love to have a show on innovation because I think this is, this is a wonderful story. But we're going to have to hold on that and move to Greg because you, you know, um, Jorn brought you a business plan. What did you think <laughs> of it?
2: <laughs> well, first of all, it was a very complete plan, it was well written. But my first impression was this is too good to be true. And frankly, I worried about what we didn't know enough about the market Mm -hmm. Uh to be able to sidestep the tripwires and landmines that some of the incumbents must have already known about. And I really struggled with looking at this with a fresh set of eyes and not looking at it through a set of uh, embedded systems glasses, if you know what I mean. Uh Uh But eventually we talked about it, and, uh, you know, I, I realized myself, I had to keep reminding myself, we were looking for expansion outside of our traditional markets. And I had to kick myself out of the cage that, you know, so often we all put ourselves in voluntarily. And um, once I saw that, I I began to to get a sense of how we could morph into this market. And, you know, frankly, Yoram's passion and enthusiasm toward this uh, certainly helped to open my eyes to the fact that this could be something very big for our company.
1: I, I just want to follow up with, because I think this is important for every business owner who is, who has to and anyone who has to change? You said you um, had to get, you know, you had to get outside the traditional market, and you had to kick yourself out of the cave. If I'm quoting you correctly, mm-hmm. um, a, from a personal point of view, just out of curiosity, how did you do that? How did you make yourself kick yourself? How did you get out of that cave? And wh- what insights might you have t- to others who are dealing with it?
2: It, it required. Um, it, it, first of all, I, I did not want to have any debates with Yoram about it because the last thing I wanted to do is uh, throw cold water on him over this because he was very passionate about it. But I did need to find you know, a uh, sounding board, somebody who it, has been through the wars themselves, to debate with them about this, the merits and the, and the risks. And I did. I, I, I certainly did with our CFO, and I did with other CEOs that are friends of mine. And they kept reminding me that, look, this is, you got what you asked for. Why are you fighting this so much? You know? <laughs> and, you know, I came to realize that it was very hard to let go of, of the traditional ways of doing things. But it was absolutely essential to do that. And uh, once, once I got through that, that internal trauma in my own mind and heart, uh, mm-hmm. I jumped on board. And, and frankly, Yoram and I, I think, have been working very effectively together to try and get this implemented.
1: You know, two key points from what you said, um, I think our listeners will uh, appreciate. One is that when you have some hard decisions, you need to get a sounding board from people uh, outside your company or people you trust. So I, I, I assume that's what you did. You know, you, you found other CEOs and you trusted their judgment and you use them as a sounding board. And then the other thing you said, which is so important, is sometimes, um, you know, it's the idea, uh, don't ask for you. Ask for something, and and you and be aware that you may get an answer you may not like, and it's, I think that's sort of what you had to you were dealing with, or maybe not like, but certainly had to really think about it.
2: I, I had um, to digest it, no doubt.
1: You had to digest it, no doubt, um, and you had to go through that internal trauma and that internal dialogue. So that's great, great, great stuff. Um, um, so what's next? Uh, Greg, you're launching a product. So we have uh, several minutes. Um, tell me briefly about um, uh, either you or Yoram. You're launching the product in the second generation, okay? Well, so talk about launching, I assume, Penview.
2: Pen- Penview's launch has been uh, in the planning stages and, and in the preparation, preparation stages for, for several quarters, um, frankly, for, for a little over a year. And uh, so we've got all of the the uh, channels, the uh, avenues to market, the pricing structure, the warranty structure, just just about everything you could think of, pretty well thought through at this point. We're just waiting for the final touches uh, to get implemented in the technology itself. So it'll be all hands on deck for us to launch this product. That'll be uh, the operational role that that uh, the VP of Sales Yoram and I will be probably you know uh, almost undivided attention, and then and then Yoram will be. Working on uh, phase two, and also additional technologies to, to add into the sausage grinder here in, in the in the coming year.
1: And um, if you had that, you know, crystal ball, and we have about two minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the next big thing? And either one of you, Yoram, would you like to talk about? And you know, because you're the strategist, what's the next big thing?
3: So uh, actually, the, there's there's more. Uh, Greg mentioned it briefly there's a lot to be done with launching the current product launching okay. 10, <laughs> uh, and now my head starts changing again uh, on one hand uh, it's the definition of the second generation and uh, mm-hmm. on that I'm, I'm simply uh, taking a book off the Apple uh, playbook a-, a page of the Apple playbook and that is our second generation is going to have some very exciting features Penview One is very exciting by itself, a year into this product rather than saying, okay we're going to start selling them cheaper. we're actually going to offer Penview Two with cooler features, mm-hmm. things that would be more uh-huh. effective and more important okay. a year and a half or a year from now so you you got to think that that Penview one is is a great product for today and, and a few years to come, but then you need to keep thinking about what the next thing is for Penview, so view 2 and view 3 and beyond. So that's one of the hats that I'm wearing. The other one is uh, the next big thing. So uh, one thing that our company has made a commitment to is to a technology called embedded computer vision. That is one of the fastest, uh, most exciting parts of technology where computers understand what they see and they act on them. It exists in view it will exist in the next generation Uh, I am right now, uh, we we hired a new CTO for embedded computer vision uh, in my group and uh, we are kind of in the same thing that we have done back in 2009 which was for, for our 2013 product, we're doing it now again for the next big thing. So we're immersing ourselves with what's new in computer vision, in embedded computer vision, with what other markets can be disrupted by those technologies. I have a few ideas. Obviously, I'm not going to mention them.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, um, next time when you when those ideas become uh, uh, unfold I'd love to have you back to talk to us about where what's the next you know the next big thing the next generation uh, listeners it's time for another break and when we come back um, we're, uh, uh Greg and Yoram are going to just talk, you know, how to contact them, uh, talk a little more about Penview, and then we'll have Marsha's musing. so stay tuned. Welcome back. This is Marcia Zadl, your Smart Moves coach. You're listening to the Business Edge. And my guests are, are Greg Kalush and Dr. Yoram Solomon. And they have been talking about the story of Penview and how it, how it was developed and where it is today. So, um, Yoram, can you just give us like a couple key points about Penview?
3: Yes. So, uh, first of all, thank you for having us uh, today. We enjoyed it. Uh, in case I forget, go to Penview, P-E-N-V-E-U com. So notice it's P-E-N-V-E-U com. You're going to get everything, videos and all about the product. It's an amazing little product. Uh, the, the major players in uh, the interactive whiteboard market in education are uh, the, the first one is Canadian, the second one is uh, British. I thought it was time for the third one and maybe uh, the one that's going to become the first to be American. So this is a product that's designed, invented and made and built here in America in Texas. It is a cool product. One of the nice things is uh, and, and it's funny because that's how I attracted employees into the company um, I told them. I couldn't tell them what the product was. All I told them is this is a product that does everything that its competitors do. It does it better. It does more things, and it costs a quarter of the price. And that's what Penview is. It's a great product for education technology. In in a time when now we're saving, we're cutting budgets in education, you can add more technology to your classroom for lower price, it can save teaching jobs. It's just, um, but but I'm I'm not biased at all.
1: <laughs> and there's other things you'd like to add, Greg. Uh,
3: well, I, I think Yoram kind of
2: hit the highlights. But the the keys, in my opinion, to this product are that it does so many things that that today's existing technology doesn't do for a whole lot less money. Um, it's, uh, it's interactive, it brings interactivity to the install base, which is really important in schools because almost every classroom has a projector, but not very many can afford an interactive whiteboard. And this converts those projectors or even flat screen TVs or panels or monitors into an interactive device. And it does it at a price point that almost anybody could afford, almost any school district could afford. And as Yoram says, if you were to implement this technology versus an interactive whiteboard, there are a lot of teaching jobs that can be saved uh, in that process. So we're very excited. The performance of the product is outstanding, both at the board as well as away from the board at a distance. And uh, it does things that teachers are are clamoring for and telling us that they they want. When we show it to them, they get very excited about the product, very excited. So we think we have a winner here, and we're pretty excited to have have your viewers go out to penview.com and take a look.
1: Well, I'm very excited that uh, having you as a guest, uh, Greg and Yoram, and, um, and also hearing about the story of Penview. Thank you so much and hope to have you back again.
0: It's time for Marsha's Musings, a tasty morsel of wisdom and wit to take the growing pains out of growth.
1: We all have stories about our experiences as customers, clients, or constituents. The good, the bad, and the absolute ugly. How many times do we tell and retail the good versus the ugly? Most of the time, it's the ugly. Listeners, take a moment and answer these questions about your company. Are we easy or difficult to do business with? Would others rate our products and services as top quality? Do we have repeat customers or, regrettably, one-night stands? In recent Bain and Company survey, 80% of companies believe they deliver a superior customer experience, but only 8% of their customers agree. Why is there such a large gap and how can it be fixed? Your customers evaluate you every time they interact with you, whether it's just an email response, a service call, or whatever. Each of these interactions presents an opportunity to strengthen or weaken your reputation and your bottom line. Every part of your business or practice, whether visible to the customer or not, impacts your customer experience. In other words... And in our work with clients, we found that customer delight is based on three major factors. Number one, the product experience. Does it do what it says it's going to do? Customers care about performance. Customer delight starts with identifying your customers and their differing needs. Remember, one size doesn't fit all. The great companies know their customers and what they want and desire. They're not all, they are not only meet, but exceed expectations. Second, the people experience. What is it like to deal with you? Whether it's neighborhood cafe, the telephone company, or the city government, people play a major role in the overall customer experience. They are the face of your company, agency, or practice. Are your people people people? Is that important to you? It better be. Too many businesses cut costs by getting rid of people. Then service goes down. And what happens next is customers leave. Then profits go down and you're back to cost cutting. Get off that merry-go-round. Number three, the process experience. How well do you deliver? No matter how good your product or service is, your customer will rate its quality and their satisfaction based on how you handle their requests, how you resolve their problems, and how quickly and accurately you respond to them. Do they have to contact you several times to get a refund or change in their billing address or whatever? What was the last time you looked at your processes? Is there room for improvement? Realize each transaction is important. So here's a smart moves tip. Every day your business sends messages to your customers do the messages say we're here to serve you we value your time we care about you or do they say we don't trust you you're not really important stop bothering us make sure the customer is at the heart of your business every single day is everyone including the front line your support staff the sales force and all your managers focused on delivering outstanding customer experience every single day. Listeners, do you want to radically improve your customer experience? Our unique reality program, How Are We Doing, connects you with your customers and your people to build the four R's of business success. Contact me at Marsha at Smart Moves Coach or call 972-380-9181. You'll also get 60 Ways to Build a Profitable Business.
0: You're listening to Marsha Zeidel, the smart moves coach, making sure you're on the right track and not getting sidetracked in your drive for high performance and profitability.
1: Now, next week's program is the top 10 mistakes employers make in recruiting, interviewing, and hiring. Your talent is an important asset. Yet many business owners and managers look at the staffing function as more of a pain than an opportunity. Tony Beshera, the owner and president of Babbage & Associates, the oldest placement and recruitment service firm in Texas, will focus on how to avoid these mistakes and increase the probability of a great hire and a great employee. Tune in Wednesday, September 18th at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern. Here's another smart moose quote from Jack Welsh. Don't manage. Leach change before you have to. That means, leaders, you have to get out of your ivory tower. Your job is to help people get on board the change train before not after it leaves the station. People want to know these three things. Where are we going? Why are we going there? And how are we going to get there? Most people don't resist change as much as they resist being changed with no idea of the what, the why, the where, and the how. That's your job as a leader. Thank you uh, for listening. Tune in every week, 11 Pacific, for the Business Edge with Marsha Ziddle, your Smart Moves executive coach and speaker, helping entrepreneurs and business leaders take Take their company firm or practice to that next level with less stress and more success. In other words, how to take the growing pains out of growth. Innovate, improve, ignite, or die. Make smart moves. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. Please join us again next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy taking your business to the next level.